0: This is the Energy Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. That's what's gonna be, I think, truly transformational to a lot of businesses, and hydrogen fuel cells enable a lot of use cases with batteries.
1: By covering the surfaces in floating solar PV panels, you can not only generate electricity on site, you can actually purify the water.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast today, everyone. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. And joining me is Dan Nagala. He is the president and CEO of UTSI International Corporation. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today, man.
1: Thank you, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, just a little bit of background on UTSI. They are a vendor independent consulting and engineering services company with a principal area of focus in industrial control systems for oil and gas pipelines. So, we're going to be talking a lot about that today. And specifically, we're going to be talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence for critical infrastructure control room use and really dive into some of the ways that uh, this technology can make processes more efficient, can increase safety, and things along those lines. And so, uh, Dan, let's start. Start off here one of the big trends that we've seen just really in the industry is increased digitization so what what impact will this technology really have uh, across the industry
1: well digital transformation is a buzzword that's used a lot in the industry these days and it uh, it's basically a reflection of these massive amounts of data that we have available now from uh, smart sensors that are being deployed all over infrastructures, not not only in industrial infrastructures, but everywhere. And that's what's fueling IoT. And in our industry in particular, we've always had a lot of data, and we've always had requirements to keep that data for many years for uh, historical analysis to go back and review situations or whatever, whatever usage was uh, was deemed necessary by either operations management or regulators. And that data has traditionally been somewhat underused. But the whole idea of digital transformation is related to taking these massive amounts of data that have been collected and stored and putting them to use to provide actionable, information to management and operations personnel and, and help them do their jobs more more effectively and hopefully make more money for the companies.
0: Yeah, and I think that one of the things that we've seen across a lot of industries is that this increase in technology, this this access to the digital information and the data has, has is something that people have been aware of and known about for a while now. But we're now seeing this technology really take on some practical uses, whereas before, maybe it was just something that, that people – we're aware of, like you mentioned, data collection has been happening for a long time, but now it's actually being able to be put into practice in in ways that really improve various aspects of the industry.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, AI's had kind of a rocky start. Well, AI and machine learning uh, have had kind of a rocky start. I mean, AI became an academic discipline in 1956, but uh, it wasn't until the 1980s that we started to see people get interested in it and at that time everybody was hanging their hat on rules-based systems and I actually worked on some projects in the 80s trying to apply rules-based systems to industrial control system operations and the problem we had with it was everything had to have a rule written for it and the rules got to be so complicated to develop and maintain and, and, uh, and debug that it just Turned out to be impractical, and you know, as most rules-based things, the majority of applications that we were relying on that kind of kind of went away because of because of various reasons. Uh, later on, in kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, we started seeing more interest as uh, a couple of things happened. One, there was a better understanding for the algorithmic methodologies that go behind AI and machine learning, and we had faster computing, faster and more capable computing resources to to fuel this. Um, AI requires, has lots of data, so it requires lots of memory, and it requires lots of compute resources to act on that data. And as we had more of that, more better development of algorithmic processes and methodologies, as well as money, You know, money is a big factor in everything, and there was a, um, or has been, a lot of influx in funding to AI-based companies or, you know, inside large enterprises that have the resources to fuel their own R&D. You know, Google and, and Apple and Facebook and these companies, they're prime examples of that.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Now, you, you've been in a lot of these control rooms uh, around the world, not just in, in one particular location. And so what are some of the uh, various aspects of, of the industry that can really be improved by using machine learning and AI as it exists today? What are some of those things that, that you think could be uh, either made more efficient or uh, in, increase safety? What, what are some of those things?
1: Well, there are, there are several things that, that could, can be done. Um, a lot of them depend on what the individual operator's objectives are, but, but globally, I and mean, you could look at things like um, doing uh, descriptive analytics, which is looking at data from the past and trying to understand what happened in the past and leveraging that into the future. You could do, uh, do diagnostic analysis on information that wasn't, particularly available or obvious to the operators and engineers that attended to the initial incident. Um, You could also use the power of historical data and historical operations to do predictive analytics. And this is a very, very useful tool in industries where you have lots of equipment that are prone to failures based on uh, repeated use, or runtime, or you know some other aspect that causes wear on those rotating equipment um, components, like motors, uh, compressors, and pump units, or turbines in the oil and gas industry, as well as things like uh, valves and whatnot. And to fuel that, a lot of these devices these days, uh, the controllers that are actually in the field, produce a multitude of diagnostic information that can be acquired and be used to fuel algorithms that will analyze that data in real time and predict when a failure might occur based on trends and uh, patterns um, correlating that with past performance and maybe declining operation at any given point in time. If you can predict a failure before it happens, you can usually get in there, schedule a maintenance run, to address that declining performance and avoid a costly failure that might require more time to repair. And it might also cost a lot more money. Um, Finally, finally, you can do uh, optimization. Uh, We call it uh, prescriptive analysis, analytics, where you're actually looking at the history and you're not only doing predictive work, but you're trying to say, do like what-if scenarios. If I combine my compressor station units in a particular way and cycle the way they start up, am I going to require less power? And you know that's an optimization problem. If you can optimize the way you use power, then you save money, and that's prescriptive analytics. So those four kind of things, descriptive analytics, diagnostic analytics, Predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics are some of the broad categories that can be applied in these industries.
0: I want to focus in specifically on predictive uh, analytics for for a second because one of the things that I feel like I've heard a number of times is just that aging infrastructure is often a concern uh, across much of the United States uh, and not just in one industry in particular. Can can that predictive, uh, can those predictive analytics really help uh, I guess, diagnose and, and make sure that that things don't fail ahead of time. Is that something that you see as, as maybe an increasing need these days, specifically because of the age of some of the infrastructure?
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I mentioned newer controllers that provide lots of data. You know, in the old days, we didn't get quite so much data. We got uh, status that said something was running or not, or it was opened or closed or whatever. But you can still do a lot of analytics on those devices by looking at other data that's related to them. Um, for example, in a pump unit, if you know it's running or no, it's not, you can keep track of how long it's running and do some correlations based on that. You can also look at its efficiency based on its output um, and performance in, in that regard. So uh, yes, this can this can make a big, a big difference. In the aging infrastructure, as we as we see older equipment uh, start to decline companies are trying really hard to try to keep that equipment out there as long as they can because again it's costly to replace and the more they can get out of its life cycle if they can have a lot more useful life cycle the better off we are in the in the long run
0: now we're we're mentioning a lot of data and, and talking about that uh, in in these particular contexts. Have you seen certain circumstances where it's been? I think the phrase I've heard is data paralysis, where there's just so much data and so much information that people have a hard time synthesizing that data and putting it into useful terms and and you know actionable ways of using that data.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. In in any. Uh, modern control system we have thousands of pieces of data that are being reported to the control center every every second or or few seconds and sorting through all that and coming up with what your principal indicators are is pretty pretty difficult and that's where you need a data scientist. What a data scientist is going to do is go in, he's going to look at the data, he's going to try to determine what the primary indicators are what the primary features are in that data set and extract those to be used and applied to address a particular problem that you're interested in in addressing um, this is called uh, feature extraction or feature analysis and and it's performed in a number of ways we we do this with algorithms that some people are are aware of called uh, principal components analysis it's a um a technique that's used to reduce the dimensionality of large data sets and focus in on what the principal indicators are in that data. Um, We use cluster analysis sometimes to identify components that are related to each other. And then once we have those identified, we can take a reduced feature set and apply an AI algorithm to it and and get better uh, results out of it. Um, obviously, some of the data you can look at and determine on your own if it's necessary or not. But there are cases where you know, we're not too sure. So we do some algorithmic work on them to help us determine what the best features are.
0: And can this help really with that uh, that bottleneck that can occur with information at times just when decisions need to be made? Uh, is that an issue that, that pops up and can this really help with that process?
1: Um, Feature extraction, I don't think really helps with that process feature extraction is something we do before we start applying the AI or machine learning algorithms, but the machine learning algorithms themselves definitely can provide that benefit. Um, And in fact that's one of the one of the key things you want to provide in our particular industry in the control room we're trying to come up with. Solutions that will provide operators and controllers of these critical infrastructure systems better information and a better understanding of what the operating state of their assets is and this in turn helps them make better decisions Ma- helps them make better decisions when they have an alarm or a degrading operational condition and it helps them make better decisions when they're trying to improve efficiency or or make a change of some sort. Um, The better, you know, as you might expect, more information you have, the better and quicker you can make a decision that makes the best sense.
0: Certainly. And um, I I guess one of the things that that stands out to me about this is that uh, when it comes to AI and machine learning, these aren't one-size-fits-all, out-of-the-box solutions, right? So in each particular case, when, when you go in uh, with UTSI, how are you making sure that you're crafting solutions that are specific to the particular issues of that you know pipeline or that particular scenario that you find yourself in uh, for that particular company? What, uh, How do you walk through that process?
1: Yeah, in our approach, uh, first of all, it's really important to identify... Uh, one or two key people in the operating company that are championing the, the effort within that company. And they work as our liaison, and we, we work with them to first identify what their objectives are. And then we work with them closely to evaluate the data and determine, first of all, if their data can actually support what their objectives are. Uh, Believe it or not, sometimes people come up with broad ideas that just can't be done with the information that they have. So in the early part of an engagement, we like to do a a proof-of-concept pilot, which allows us to go in uh, with a, a fairly quick process that engages us with the key resources within the operating company helps us identify the problem, uh, allows us to evaluate the data and determine what its applicability and capability is to address the issue that they want to do. And then we'll do some uh, preliminary analysis on that data as well. Um, once we have that done, provided it was a successful outcome, then we'll turn that into a an actual running implementation uh, that Encompasses much more data and addresses a broader scope within the operating constraints of the company, but still focusing on that particular problem they're trying to solve. Um, AI is hard. It's not. It's not a. It's not an easy solution where you just go out and buy a shrink wrap box and plug it in and it just works. Although, um, when you think about neural networks and self learning. Uh, and deep learning AI systems, that's kind of what they do. Um, But on the front end of putting in a deep learning system, you still have to uh, reduce the dimensions of the data to something that makes sense for what you're trying to accomplish, and then work through the process of defining and configuring that type of a system to, to do the job. Um, AI systems, you know, a lot of what we do in our industry is we do behavioral analytics where we're looking for uh, behavioral anom- anomalies based on past experience. So the AI system will be put in, we'll extract the right features, we'll let it run for a while to learn what, uh, what normal or typical operational data looks like. And then, after a while, we'll use the results of that learning to test against a known data set that maybe has some issues in it. So we can prove that the learning worked OK. It identifies anomalies of the type that we're trying to identify. And then we can go on and put it into operation. Uh, so you know, there there are a lot of aspects to this, and and it's a process. And the process is very important. And it's very important that it starts out slow and it is uh, ramped up to a point where we have confidence that the outcomes are what are expected of the uh, the target system.
0: Do you find that you have conversations where you are explaining, um, you know, the, the need for patience and the need for... Uh, for understanding when it comes to hey this this doesn't all just come out of a box and immediately work but if implemented properly down the road you're saving yourself money so there's an upfront cost but down the road you could be preventing a, a giant catastrophe or uh, something along those lines do you have yourself do you find yourself having those conversations often with with people in the industries
1: yes in every in almost every engagement we would do that. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, there are very few people who really understand AI and machine learning technology at the level that they need to understand it to address operational problems in real time with you know high speed, high fidelity, time series data. And so um, managing those expectations is, is really important. But as you say, the outcome can be incredibly beneficial and most importantly. In the pipeline industry where we're dealing with the transportation and distribution of, of hazardous materials by a very widely dispersed uh, infrastructure, safety and integrity of anything you put into the operating environment is super important. Um, and AI can help manage and, and provide an understanding of those aspects of the operation. It can help improve safety by providing better information, and it can help improve the integrity of the asset by uh, doing things like we talked about: predictive analytics, um, um, maintenance scheduling, and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, you mentioned just that—that that, you know, people sometimes need more information on on how AI works than than what they have and then what they they currently know. Um, But I think that highlights just how valuable it is to have uh, people like you and people like what you do at UTSI uh, around to be able to kind of guide that journey, I suppose, into this new technology that's still foreign to a lot of people and in an industry that, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but feels somewhat resistant to change at at some point. So does that kind of highlight the the need for something like what you do in the industry?
1: Uh, Yes, it does. That... Well, the pipeline industry, in particular, has been very slow to adapt to new technologies like this, especially advanced uh, sort of analytic technologies. We've had a long history of, of working with things like real-time models, which are actual fluid mechanics models that are developed and placed into an operating environment. And traditionally, uh, those have been very difficult to implement and have required lots of time and effort, and there have been various degrees of success and failure of, of those types of systems. Um, today, we have several fluid mechanics models that run and do things like pipeline leak detection and, and other things in a pipeline environment very well. But again, they're not easy projects, and it's the same with machine learning and AI. And actually what we're trying to do with machine learning and AI is provide something that's um, supportive and adjunctive to the operations and outcomes of something like a real-time model. Basically we're looking at the same data in a different way to help provide a better understanding of what that data is telling you and identify anomalies and issues that might Be present in the operating environment.
0: So, in in a world where AI and machine learning are set up and are operating as they should. Uh, the controller is getting this information on a regular basis. Compare and contrast what his job looks like with AI and machine learning and without it. So, what what information does he have now at his disposal, at at his fingertips, when everything is as it should, as it should be? Even if you know the the indicators are indicating, hey, something is wrong. You know, you might need to fix something. How does his job look different now using AI than it did before?
1: Well, traditionally, an operator would receive um, status and performance information from devices in the field. Maybe it's a flow rate or a pressure, or the state of a valve or a or a pumping unit or compressor unit in the field. So he knows if a if a, uh, if a pumping unit on a liquids pipeline is running. He knows what the output is from that in terms of pressure and flow rate and if he knows a little bit about the hydraulics of the pipeline which he should he can make his own determinations based on his knowledge and as events be it alarms or other actionable events happen on the on the pipeline he's able to use the information at his disposal and make decisions on on how to best deal with those situations. With AI what we're doing is we're providing a broader view of what the operating environment looks like. And we're looking at small anomalies in the information that's available from the field that might indicate some sort of a problem, a developing problem or or an immediate problem that's that's occurred, but still hasn't been reflected to a large enough extent in the data that the operator sees which would allow him to make a determination. Uh, One of the things that an operator looks at is he typically looks at a screen that has information from a particular area uh, displayed on it. But what the AI system is doing is it's not only looking at that data, but it's looking at all the data across the whole infrastructure and it's reflecting back to the operator what the relationships between all those data items are and how they affect his job. Thereby through the information that's provided he can hopefully make better and quicker decisions. One, one application that we've been uh, working on quite a lot because it's one of the bigger issues in a pipeline operating environment in the liquids industry is leak detection. Um, leak detection is you know, something that operators have struggled with for years And uh, the current regulations require liquid operators to have some sort of of leak detection system active on, on the majority of their pipeline infrastructure. So what happens because of the impacts of leaks is many operating companies these days have a policy they call zero tolerance, which requires the operator to shut down the pipeline when he receives a leak alarm from their leak detection system. The problem is, is many times it's a false positive. So if he gets a false alarm, but he can't immediately determine that it's a false alarm based on the information that he has at his disposal, he has no choice but to shut down the pipeline. Sometimes a pipeline company has a leak detection analyst available to the control center uh, most of the time. So when an alarm occurs, the leak detection analyst can come in and he can look at it in You know the technical ways that he would and maybe make that determination to say no this is a false alarm because of these things and that's what caused it so you don't have to shut down unfortunately those guys aren't always available so if the pipeline operator has to shut down the pipeline that's a cost that costs them money and just the energy it requires to restart the pipeline uh, downtime so they have missed deliveries missed schedules Now, lots of things cascade on top of a shutdown. What the AI system can do is help, um, well, basically, fill in the gaps when the leak detection analyst isn't there by capturing his knowledge and evaluating that situation and providing information to the operator to tell him, look, because of these things, there's a probability that this alarm is not real. and provide the the basic background information that explains why that probability is there.
0: Absolutely. And when we talk about that and we talk about, you know, increased efficiency, then we're talking about, uh, you know, more product and more money and th- things like that, which is the ultimate goal for most people, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, of course. More throughput, uh, lower cost, uh, less downtime, and uh, less impact when you do have a leak. You know, if you do have a leak, perhaps... AI technologies depending on what instrumentation they're they're working with can help to detect and validate a leak faster than you might be able to validate it otherwise
0: absolutely well that is Dan Nagala the president and CEO of UTSI international Dan thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and talking about uh, these these uh, concepts and, and what's going on right now with AI and machine learning it's really exciting just the developments in the uh, in the industry I'm excited to see uh, how things continue to move forward
1: thank you very much Tyler I appreciate your time and I'm uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys
0: absolutely let's do it again soon.
1: Okay, take care.